Oh, it is so good to see you. We are so glad that you are here today. Uh, in case we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Greg. Uh, I serve on staff here as one of the pastors uh, here at the church. Uh, Pastor Andy and Alexa, they are getting a well-deserved uh, vacation this weekend, getting a little time away. And so uh, he will be back next Sunday, and he'll pick back up with the Liar Liar series. How have you been enjoying that series, man? Man, that's man, such good stuff right there coming out. I uh, hope that you are taking that truth and applying it to your life. But today we're going to take a little bit of a break for that, and we're going to to uh, look at another, uh, another little message today that'll uh, it'll take care of today. I feel like God's kind of given us for this moment and this time for today. Um, and so I want to invite you uh, to come to the table uh, with me. I don't know about you, but uh, I love dinner time uh, at my house. Uh, anybody else love dinner time? Dinner time's a great time, not just because I like to eat, but because uh, dinner time is, a, is kind of that, that moment in time in our day, at least in the rhythm of our household, where everybody kind of gathers around the table and it, it kind of gets a little bit calmer. Uh, some of the chaos and stuff like that kind of kind of goes away for a few minutes, and we get a chance to, to be around one another and kind of hear about uh, how our day was. I get a chance to talk to my girls about what they learned at school that day, and it's always nothing. Um, like, it never fails. It's always nothing. Um, and, so, uh, and so I ask them what their favorite part of the day was, and it's always one of two things. It's either lunch or recess. Those are the only two options. There's evidently nothing else takes place uh, during those moments. But man, I, I love getting around the table. It's kind of it's kind of that moment, too, where uh, not just everything slows down, but you just kind of know, hey, you know what, we're all together. We can all, we can all just kind of be together for a, for a few moments here while we're, while we're taking some food together. We can just kind of be a family, and we can just kind of hang out and just check in on everybody and make sure everybody's okay, and maybe even talk a little bit about what all's really happening in our lives at that moment. I, I love getting around the table. It's also one of my favorite things about holidays, that you know you kind of get a chance to get around the table with some family members that maybe you don't get a chance to see all that often, and kind of uh, do a little bit of a check-in and see how things are going, catch up on life. Um, I remember uh, when Daniel and I first started dating. Uh, we dated for a while and then we got engaged. And after we got engaged was the first time I got to experience Thanksgiving with her family. And so uh, Thanksgiving for them is, you know, everybody went to uh, grandma and grandpa's house and they had all the aunts and the uncles and the cousins and everybody's there. And it's my first time meeting with them and kind of engaging with them. So I want to make a good impression, right? So I've kind of got in my head the checklist of things that I need to do to make sure I make a good impression. First of all, don't say anything controversial, you know, be on your best behavior. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Thank you. All that kind of good stuff right there. Remember people's names, which evidently is pretty important. Um, you know, and so, oh, and the other thing that I wanted to make sure that I did was I didn't want to offend anybody about who made what or anything. So I just kind of made this deal that I'm just going to get a little bit of everything, no matter, no matter what it is, no matter who made it, I'm just going to get a little bit of everything. And that way I've made everybody happy. Well, what I didn't know is, is that a part of their family tradition was that they had this thing that they called fish stew. Yeah, okay, so evidently we're all on the same page. <laughs> um, like everybody in this, like, 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 this, like this one isolated family or something like that. Anyways, um, so fish stew, in case you aren't aware, it is fish in a stew. <laughs> now, now I, 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 like, I like fish. I mean, I, I like to fry fish and all that kind of good stuff. But, but something about fish in a stew just didn't register in my mind. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, but hey, I made this deal. I'm going to get a little bit of everything. And so you go to take uh, the lid off the pot, and it smells about as bad as you think that it would, all right? Uh, and, and I kid you not, guys, uh, Danielle calls me a little bit of a liar when I say this, but this is my recollection of the story, is that I'm pretty sure like, they use every part of the fish in this stew. Like, like when I took the lid off, I, I, man, I promise you guys there was an eyeball looking back up at me. 
All right, I, I mean, it was, it was that bad. And so I get my, I get my bowl, and, um, and so I was like, all right, uh, you know what? Give me get, just, just a little bit, <laughs> just, just a little smidge in there. And they don't do just a little bit. Boy, it was, they, filled, they filled the bowl up, and so I'm taking it back to the table, and, uh, and, it, and I'm looking at it, and it's kind of looking back at me. And um, uh, I don't know that it was looking back at me, but that's just the way the story goes. <laughs> and so, um, so I sit down, and I get my spoon, and I start eating it. And, guys, it tastes about as bad as you think that it would. Like, I mean... Like, the smell was better than the taste as far as I was concerned. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I ate it all. Uh, I ate every bit of it. And I'm pretty sure that everybody could tell by the look on my face that uh, I was starting to turn a little bit green. And uh, I didn't eat anything else for the rest of the day. Um, I don't think I ate anything for the rest of the next few days uh, after that. But it was all this matter of wanting to make a good impression, wanting them to, uh, to, to get to know me and accept me and love me. And now, after having been in the family for several years now, you know what? Uh, I don't have to, to work at it, right? I'm coming in, I'm sitting at the table, and they know me, and I know them, and they love me, and I love them. And so when they say, hey, Greg, you want some fish stew? No, I don't want fish stew! <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I don't have to do that anymore. Um, but think about it. Think about the times that you've been invited to come and sit down at somebody's table. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like this unspoken deal of, hey, when, when I'm inviting you to come sit down at my table, I, I want to spend some time with you. I want to get to know you. I, I, I want us to get to know each other. I want to develop a relationship with you. I want us, I, I want us to kind of become more than just the acquaintances who say, hey, how are you doing? But I, I want us to, to get to know each other on a little bit of a deeper level. I want us to move beyond just the acquaintance and become friends and, and perhaps even family to come to the table, to come and have a seat at my table. In the uh, Old Testament, there is the powerful story of a brotherhood and how it results in the invitation to come and sit down at the king's table. And so if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, that's where we're going to spend our time today. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It's going to be up on the screens here in just a few moments. But I want to lay a little bit of groundwork for you to kind of get to the point of where we are in history and scripture. You see, in Old Testament, it, it, has this, uh, it tells this beautiful story of a friendship between a guy by the name of Jonathan and a guy by the name of David. Uh, now, David was about 14 to 16 years old, so to speak. Uh, he would oftentimes be invited to come and visit King Saul and to come and play music to help him relax. And then it was shortly thereafter that David would make a name for himself as the one who would step up and kill the giant Goliath. And after that, uh, he would be invited to come and be the personal armor bearer for King Saul. He would work his way up and become a captain in the army. And then he would even be, get to the point of where uh, King Saul would offer uh, one of his daughters to be the bride of David. Well, it was during this time where David would meet Jonathan. Jonathan was King Saul's son, and they were about the same age, and they served, both of them served in the military together, and scripture begins to talk about how their friendship developed, and how they moved just beyond just being friends, but they became the best of friends, the best buds, even to the point of becoming like brothers. Scripture would, would go on to describe their friendship as something of like their souls were knit together, they were so close that they were, that there was nothing they wouldn't do for one another. Um, well, the story continues to go on that as David's popularity grew, King Saul, who was Jonathan's father, began to grow really jealous of David. Jealous to the point of where he would go out and try to have David killed, where he would try to kill him personally a couple of times by throwing a spear at him. Well, as Jonathan gets word and gets wind about the plot, the plot and the plan to take out David by his father Saul, he, uh, he kind of comes to David's rescue and he helps to formulate a plan and, and helps, to, helps David to be able to escape. 
But before he escapes, they uh, work out uh, they work out this little deal, and they make a pact, they make a promise to one another. And we read about it in First Samuel chapter twenty. And here's what it says: And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. In the very last encounter that they would have together, David promised Jonathan that he would always show the kindness of the Lord to Jonathan's family. So, so David escapes and he spends the next few years on the run for his life as King Saul is trying to track him down. Well, then all of a sudden, David begins to get word that, that King Saul and Jonathan both have been killed in battle. And David would spend the next seven years in, in battle against the house of Saul until there is finally peace and David has overcome. And now it is King David, the king of Israel. But now that there's peace in the land and now that he is now the rightful king over Israel, there's this lingering promise in the back of his mind that he remembers. The promise that he made to Jonathan that he would always show the kindness of the Lord to Jonathan's household, to Jonathan's family. And so now, for the first time, it's been 15 to 20 years or so since that promise was first made, and now David finally has the opportunity to fulfill that promise. And we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And here's what it says. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show, I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David was looking for a member from Jonathan's family to be able to show kindness to, to be, able, uh, to be able to fulfill this promise to. And I want to say this before we go any further into Scripture today, is that I'm not sure where you may find yourself at in your relationship with Christ today. Maybe today things are good, things are great. Maybe you're in a really good spot. Maybe, you know what, you're growing in your relationship with Christ and you're maturing and everything's going well. Or on the flip side of that, maybe things aren't going so well. Maybe you find yourself at a place where you're kind of beginning to question who God is. Maybe you're questioning the way that you believe. Maybe you're, maybe you're questioning uh, what, if, if God's even real, if God's even there, if he's got a plan for your life. Maybe you're questioning your faith. You're just kind of having all these doubts and question marks in your mind today. And I want to tell you this. In the same way, in the same way that David was pursuing a member, a lost member in Jonathan's family, God always pursues the lost members of his family. That was better than the way that you responded to that, <laughs> okay? Just going to tell you that right now. Uh, listen, think about it, all right? No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, and think about your own story about how it was before, before you surrendered and, and said yes to a relationship with Christ. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God is always pursuing the lost members of his family, those who haven't yet said yes to him, those who haven't experienced his love and his grace and his mercy, those who have yet to come to a point where they say, you know what, I need Jesus in my life. He is always running and pursuing after those who are the lost members of his home, of his house, of his family. I think about Peter oftentimes, and I think about the life that he lived, and man, side by side, step in step with Jesus uh, throughout his public ministry, right? He saw so many powerful things, saw God perform miracles, saw him in the way that he taught, in the way that he was able to teach with power, saw the love that flowed through his life. And then it came to the time where it was about time for Jesus' earthly life to end, He's been arrested, and all of a sudden now Peter denies even knowing Jesus three separate times, right? Jesus is, is hung on the cross. He dies there. He's resurrected. And when Jesus is resurrected, and he comes back, and he's beginning to appear to all these different Peter people, he comes and has a specific conversation with Peter to be able to restore him into relationship so that he can now become, once again, be one of the disciples. And now God is going to use to build his, his new church. 
he was pursuing after the one. He was pursuing after one, regardless of what had happened, regardless of what had taken place, he was pursuing after a family member who wasn't sitting at the table. Guys, he will always pursue after us when we aren't finding our place at the table, when we aren't sitting in his home, when we haven't yet come back to his house. So regardless of who we are, regardless of the family member that you've been praying for, don't give up praying for them because God hasn't given up pursuing after them. Amen? All right, so... He's coming, he's pursuing after uh, a member from Jonathan's household. And so he comes and he says this in, in verse 2. He summoned a man by the name of Zeba, who had been uh, one of Saul's servants. Are you Zeba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Zeba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zeba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. So David sends for this guy by the name of Zeba, who's a holdover uh, from Saul's household, uh, from, Saul, from guy working in Saul's kingdom. And he says, hey, look, is there anybody else still alive from this household? And he says, sure enough, there is one. It's a son of Jonathan, but I got to let you know something. He's crippled in both feet. He's broken. He's damaged. He's got some stuff that's wrong. He's not going to be a whole lot of value of service to you, king. I just thought you should know that. You see, what we learn is, is that uh, Jonathan had a son by the name of Mephibosheth. And you didn't think you liked the name your parents gave you. <laughs> and now i got to say that a couple of times over the next few minutes. And I, y'all know I'm going to mess this up a couple of times. But when Mephibosheth was about five years old, word gets passed down that King Saul has passed away, as well as his father Jonathan. And the nanny who's taking care of Mephibosheth gets nervous, gets scared, gets worried. Because it would have been custom during this time period that if, the, that if the king had been killed and family members were being killed, that the new regime that was coming in would also kill out and swipe out the entire family to start fresh, to start anew. So she had a right to be fearful. She had a right to have in her mind that something bad just might happen. So she picks up Mephibosheth and she starts to run to go into hiding. Only problem is, is that as she's running, she accidentally drops Mephibosheth. When he hits the ground, it causes permanent, irreversible damage. And now Mephibosheth is crippled in both feet for the rest of his life. Think about this guy for a moment. He was a part of the royal family. He had his entire future mapped out. It was all taken care of, man. He was going to be taken care of. He was going to be provided for. There was nothing he was going to have to worry about. He may have even been in line to be the next king, right? It would have been King Saul and then King Jonathan. And then maybe, just maybe, it would have been King Mephibosheth. But then in a moment... He learns that his grandfather is dead, learns that his dad is dead, and he's been dropped and broken, and now he's crippled. It's amazing how one moment can change the trajectory of our lives. It's amazing how one phone call can wreck it. It's amazing how one doctor's visit can change the shape of it. It's amazing how one meeting with our boss can cause things into question. It's amazing how one choice that we make changes our life. It's amazing how a choice that somebody else makes can change our lives. And we too can find ourselves in a place of where we are hurting, of where we are broken, of where maybe we're just beginning to question, God, where are you in this? How could you let this happen? Thought you were going to take care of us. I, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if Mephibosheth woke up about every single morning wondering what might have been, wondering what life could have been like, he was supposed to be a part of the royal family. Now he's rubbish. 
He was, he, was supposed to be, he was supposed to have favor in his life and now he's nothing more than an afterthought. He's just forgotten about. Why? Why, why allow this to happen? And, and us too. We can look around and we can wonder why. We can question where God is, how this could happen. Why am I hurting? Why are, why are we having to walk through this? And if you're looking for answers on that today, I don't, I don't have them. <laughs> I wouldn't even begin to try to explain any of that. And let me say this uh, as well today. Maybe, maybe something, something that somebody else did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry you had to walk through that. I'm sorry you're walking through that right now. Uh, our hearts break for you in that. But I also want you to hear this as well. What I fear happens off the time, especially for us as God's people, what I think can happen is that we can become so focused on what happened in the past that we miss out on what God wants to do in our present. And I know that, that can be a little hard to hear. I, trust me, I, when I wrote it down, I didn't like it. But oftentimes I feel like we can put so much energy into hating somebody for what they did or hating that situation or just sitting there and just beginning to uh, allow ourselves to find ourselves in a place where we just constantly are thinking about it nonstop that we can miss God's voice and what he wants to speak to us, that we can miss God's healing and what he wants to bring together in our lives because we're so focused on that past event. Mephibosheth went through all of that stuff when he was around five years old, right? And here we are years later, years later, and he's still hiding. He's still hurting. He still looks in the mirror and sees himself as nothing more than a broken individual. A few verses later, he will tell King David, why are you even talking to a dead dog like me? He refers to himself as nothing more than a dead dog, somebody who's not even worthy of crumbs off the king's table. That's how he views himself years later. Because perhaps he's been so focused on what happened in the past that he's missing what God wants to do in his life right now. And so this morning, can I say this to you today? What if we allowed ourselves for a few moments today to open our minds, open our hearts, open our souls, open our spirits to simply saying, God, whatever you want to do in me, I'm open to it. Whatever you want to speak, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to show me right now, I'm open to it. God, come in and begin to heal those areas which are broken in my life. David hears that Jonathan's got a son who's hurt, who's broken, who's crippled, and his words are this, where is he? The king asked. And Lodabar, Ziba told him, so David sent for him. So, so David is sending now from Mephibosheth, and we learn that he's living in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means without pasture, or it can mean nothing. Not like, like not nothing, but I mean, it can literally mean nothing. Not only did Mephibosheth actually lose everything that he had been looking forward to in the future, but he actually lived in a place that meant you have nothing. He lived in a place that meant there is nothing here for you. In our culture, we oftentimes will connect who we are with what we have. We look around and we find our value in the things that we own or the things that we possess or the things that we're trying to achieve. 
We're, we don't have as much education as somebody, so therefore I'm not as valuable as them. Or I don't make as much money as they do, so I'm not as valuable as them. Or I don't have as nice of a house as they do, so I'm not as valuable as them. Or, or I don't have the family that I thought that I would have at this point in time in my life, so I must not be as valuable as, as somebody else. We oftentimes will compare and we'll look around and we'll look at all the things that we have or vice versa, the things that we don't have, and we try to comment our value based upon that. Something has value. Uh, We base our value based on what we have or what we don't have. However, God determines our value very differently than the world around us. And David experienced that firsthand. It was the prophet Samuel, and he had been anointed to go and anoint the next king of Israel. And so he is sent to Jesse's house, and Jesse was the father of David. And so he walks into Jesse's house, and the first kid that he sees is Eliab, which is David's older brother. And and Samuel thinks to himself, he says, okay, this has got to be the one. He's the the older brother. He looks the part. He talks the part. This has got to be this. Everything you'd want to be in the next king, this has got to be the one. And then God speaks to the prophet Samuel, and here's what he says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks deeper. His value system is very different than the value system around us. So you don't, you're not valuable because of what you have. You're not valuable because of the job that you have. You're not valuable because of all the things that you can do. No, you're valuable because of whose name is written on your life. You're valuable because of the price that Jesus Christ paid for you. You're valuable because of who he says that you are. You're valuable because of all the words that he places on your life. My son, my daughter, my child, righteousness and masterpiece. He looks at you and he says, you are valuable not because of what you have to offer me, but simply because of who you are. There was uh, an American tourist who went, uh, went to Paris and he spent a couple of weeks there and as he's getting ready to come back, he stops off at a little shop to buy a little necklace and uh, he, he, finds this, he finds this little uh, trinket, little necklace thing that he just absolutely falls in love with, spends a few bucks for it, but he's, often, he's very surprised when he comes back through customs in New York and has to pay a very hefty fee uh, for it to clear customs. So he gets a, gets a little curious and he takes it over to a jeweler to have it appraised and the jeweler takes a look at it, puts it under the magnifying glass and says, looks up at him and says, okay, right now I will offer you $25,000 for that necklace. And the guy gets a little surprised look on his face and curiosity's still getting the better of him. So he goes to go see another jeweler and he takes it to him. The jeweler looks at it underneath the magnifying glass. He's like, okay, right now I will offer you $35,000 for this necklace. Well, now the guy's just flabbergasted. He goes, man, what in the world's going on here? What is it that it, what's causing the value of this necklace? What is it that you see? The jeweler invites him to come behind the counter Take a look through the eyeglass and he says, read to me what you see written down right there. And here's what he read. The inscription on the necklace said this, from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. The value in the necklace became because of whose name was written on it. Your life has value because of whose name is written on your life. And in the same way that David wanted to remind Mephibosheth that, hey, there is value in you, I believe that Jesus today wants to remind you that there is value in you. He's inviting you to come out of those dark places, out of those hurting places, out of those broken places. He's inviting you to come out of emptiness and darkness and despair. And he's inviting you to come home to your place at the table. He's inviting you to come and to take a place and take your place and to be seated at his table where you're going to be cared for provided for, loved, and accepted, and shown that this right here is where you belong, to come out of Lodabar, to come out of the darkness, to come out of the nothing, and to come to the place that he has for you, to take your seat 
at his table. David sends for Mephibosheth and the soldiers, they come and they get him and they bring him back to where David is. They bring him back to the palace. And some of the first words are recorded that he says to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7. Here's what he says, don't be afraid. You got to remember, this right here was the guy who is now the new king in the land. It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be Mephibosheth's family, but he had to go into hiding because he was afraid that his next step would have been death just like his dad and just like his grandfather. He, he went into hiding because he was afraid. And now David, the king of the land, is telling him, don't be afraid. Perhaps these are the most comforting words that David has heard in quite, I mean, that Mephibosheth has heard in quite some time. Don't be afraid. Fear played a powerful role in Mephibosheth's life for years. Fear plays a role in our lives as well. As much as we try not to admit it, fear plays a role in our lives we fear different things. Maybe not an individual, but there are certainly aspects of life that we find ourselves afraid of. Inevitably, when I get a chance to get an opportunity to come up here and share God's word, which I absolutely love the opportunity to be able to do, somebody will come up to me and they'll ask, hey, do you ever get nervous before you stand up there to talk? And my answer is this, every single time. <laughs> there is not a time that goes by. This is not my normal comfort zone right up here. Um, but I think it has something to do with going back to my freshman year of college. My freshman year of college, I had to take a uh, public communications course. I knew this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to teach God's word uh, at, with my life. I felt that's what God was calling and leading me to do. So I had to take this class. And as a part of the class, in the first two weeks, you had to stand up in front of the class and give a, give a short speech, like a two-minute, three-minute speech on anything that you wanted it to be. Only problem was is that not only was the teacher going to grade you, your classmates were going to grade you as well. And so I get up there and I give my speech and I give everything that I got. Guys, I kid you not, I didn't have one good thing said about my speech. I didn't get any awes. I got laughter. <laughs> like, seriously? Come on. <laughs> no, but seriously, not, not, one, not one good comment from the teacher, not one good comment from the classmates. And guys, I, I, I remember going back to my dorm room and just absolutely throwing my hands up in the air and saying, what have I done? I felt like this is what I was supposed to do, and now I can't even, I can't even get a good grade. I can't, I can't even get a compliment, not even a good grade. I can't even get, can't even get somebody to say something nice about the speech that I gave. What, what have I done? Man, what, what have I messed up? Man, how, my entire life is out the door, out the window. Um, and I, I remember that. I remember, and so now I have these conversations in my head right, right back there, <laughs> like five minutes before I'm walking out. It is, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, is it going to be good enough? And to kind of let you know how my head works, it's like, all right, people are out there with pens and paper. Are they grading you right now? <laughs> what kind of grade are they getting ready to give you? Uh, it's this fear that it's not going to be good enough. It's this fear that it's not going to measure up. It's this fear that I'm going to, I'm going to say something wrong, which I inevitably always do. Uh, but there's this fear that it's not going to come across, and this fear that I'm not going to hit the mark like I feel like I need to. And then over the last couple of days, I felt like, like just within the last few days, I felt like God said this to me as well. Perhaps the thing that you fear the most is actually the thing that God wants to use the most to make a difference in somebody's life. And I don't think that was just for me. I felt like I needed to share that with you as well. Perhaps the thing that you fear the most is not the thing that you need to run from, but it's the thing that God wants to use to make a difference for his kingdom and the lives of the people around you. Because it's not just fear and saying no to fear on your own. Because here's what happens, guys. 
Fear will try to rob you of God's blessings. But at his table, fear loses its power. It's not about you saying, okay, no more, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. No, it's, it's not about you doing that because what we've already said is, I can't do anything in and of myself. It's not about what I can do, but it's about sitting down at the table where I'm sitting next to Jesus and I lean on his strength and I lean on his power and I lean on his understanding because at his table, fear loses its power. And we get this and we know this because around 365 times in Scripture we are told, do not be afraid. 365 times. Maybe that number should be a little significant to us. 365 days in a year, we are told, do not be afraid. Verses like Joshua 1.9, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23.4, for even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid uh, for you are close beside me. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Fear will try to rob you of God's blessings. But at his table, fear loses its power. Fear will try to isolate you, but don't let it come to the table. Fear will try to keep you alone, but don't let it come to the table. Fear will try to keep you in a place of hurt and pain and bondage, but don't let it come to the table because fear has no power at God's table. David continues in verse 7, don't be afraid, David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will eat here with me at the king's table. David says, hey, don't be afraid. And I get that this right here is going to be a little hard to comprehend. I get this right here is going to be a little bit hard to connect the dots on, especially seeing as how you were a part of the royal family and now I'm the king. Uh, but here's what you need to know, okay? Before any of that took place, your father and I, we were the best of friends. We were like brothers. And he believed in me. He believed that I was God's anointed to be the next king. And we made a promise and we made a pact. And I told him that no matter what happened in the future, I would always show kindness to his family. And you, Mephibosheth, you are his family. And so I I want to invite you to come home. I want to invite you to come and take your place at the table, not because of anything that you've done, not because of what you can do. Look, I get your situation. I get your circumstances. But it's not about what you have to offer. It's about who your father is. Guys, we are Mephibosheth. Every single one of us in the room, we are Mephibosheth. We've been in a place where we have struggled with discovering our value. We've been in a place where we've struggled with fear. We've been in a place where we've been hurt and we've been broken. And we needed somebody to come and invite us to come and take our place at the table because we couldn't earn it on our own. And that's where Jesus came into play. When Jesus was sent to this earth and he lived that perfect life and he came and he turned the world upside down with his teaching and his love and the way that he was able to communicate who the Father really is, and then he surrendered his life. He allowed his life to be taken from him where he spread his arms on that cross. And he allowed his life to be taken from him where he died on that cross. And then three days later, he was resurrected. That right there enabled the invitation for you and for me to come and to take our place at the table. And I love the way that verse 11 says it. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Don't come and sit at the table like a hired hand. 
Don't come and sit at the table where you feel like you gotta earn your keep. Don't come and sit at the table like a servant in the house or somebody who's working out in the yard. That's not your role. Your role is to come and sit down at the table like one of the king's sons. Our role is to come and to find our place at the table like one of the king's sons, like one of the king's daughters. It's not about earning our place at the table. It's about accepting our place at the table. You have a place at the table this morning. And it's not just about sitting down and eating the food. That's going to be great. But it's about knowing that you're a member of the family. It's about knowing that you've got a place to belong. It's about, about knowing that, hey, you know what? You're going to be accepted here. You're going to be cared for here. You're going to be provided for here. Everything that you need is going to be given to you. You're going to be provided for you. All you've got to do is to come and take your seat at the table. I don't know how it works in your house, okay? But at our dinner table... It didn't work out this way. Nobody said this. It just kind of happened that everybody's kind of got their assigned seat. Everybody has their place that they sit at the table. And it doesn't matter what meal it is. It doesn't matter who's sitting down at the table. Everybody sits down in their seat. See, Danielle always sits right here in this chair right here. Faith, our youngest, she always sits right here. Hope, our oldest, she always sits right here in this chair. And then I always sit right here, this spot. And it doesn't matter what meal it is, like at breakfast time when it's just the girls who are eating their, eating their pancakes as we're getting ready for the day and Daniel and I are running around trying to make sure backpacks are ready and lunches are packed and all that kind of good stuff. Faith still sits right here and hope still sits right here. There's other chairs, but they still sit in their spot. Every other Monday night, Danielle has her connect group. And so uh, we know that on those nights, she's not going to be eating dinner at home. Uh, she's going to be with her group. And if you're not in a group, get in a group. But um, she, uh, she, so on those Monday, on those Monday nights, there's, a, there's nobody sitting in our chair. Faith still sits here. Hope still sits here. Greg still sits right there. There's an empty chair. Nobody else sits in it. Because that's Danielle's spot. At God's table, at the king's table, everybody has their spot. And there's an empty chair at the table. It's your spot. Nobody else can sit in it. Nobody else can fill it. Nobody else can. That, that, that chair was made specifically for you. It's your place. It's your spot. Nobody else can eat from that, eat from that plate. Nobody else can drink from that cup. That's your spot. Nobody else can engage in the conversation like you from that spot. That's your spot. And the family of God isn't complete until every chair is full. Your spot is empty and waiting on you to accept his invitation to come and sit at his table. If you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's an empty chair for you. There's an empty chair for you. For you to simply say yes to his invitation, not because of anything that you've done, not because of anything that you can do, not because of anything that you will do, but simply because of who your father is. Because of the gift that he gave us through his son, Jesus Christ life and have life to the full will you accept his invitation to come and take your place at his table bow your heads with me for just a moment but I want to ask you today this morning if you're in a place where you've never said yes to Jesus before you've never accepted his invitation to experience his love and his grace and his mercy if you've never accepted Jesus Christ and said yes to his invitation to come to the table 
Or maybe you found yourself in a place of where you did at one point in time and you've been running for a while now. But you sense God is inviting you to come back to the table, to come and to take your place at the table. And you want to say yes to Jesus Christ today. You want to say yes to him. I promise you we're not going to embarrass you, but we would love nothing more than to celebrate with you as you come to the table. If you say, hey, Greg, that's me. Would you just pray for me? If that's you today and you want to say yes to Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? I want to be able to pray for you this morning. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, can we celebrate one who's saying yes to it? Yes to Jesus today. Yes to that invitation to the table. Before we pray in just a moment, I want to ask one more question today. I wonder how many of us would say this. We, we touched on it, but I want to come back to it. I wonder how many of us would say this. Hey, Greg, you know what? We were talking a few moments ago about those broken areas in our lives areas that maybe nobody else even knows about um, and today I just want to ask if, I just want to ask for you to pray for me say God I need I'm opening myself up to your healing hand to be at work in my life that you, that, that healing process would begin and God right now even as we pray this morning we'd be able to extend his hand into your life and beginning to heal those broken areas once again I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you but if you would say hey that's me great would you just pray for me I got some broken areas in my life but that's you would you just raise your hand hey I got some brokenness in my life I need God to heal yeah hands up everywhere hands up everywhere amen amen well let's pray together guys Father we love you today God we thank you for what you're doing God first and foremost we want to celebrate those that are saying yes to you that are saying yes to your invitation to come to the table Father, we ask this morning that as we say yes to you, that we would experience everything that you have for us, that we would experience your love and your grace and your mercy and compassion, and that, God, that we would experience life and life to the full, the way that you designed it, the way that you set it up. God, help us to experience that as we say yes to the invitation to the table. God, for those who are saying, hey, I've got some of those broken areas in my life that I need, I, I, I desperately need God to come in and begin to heal and begin to touch. Father, we open ourselves up. Right now, Father, we ask that you would reach into our hearts, reach into our souls, reach into our spirits, and whatever it takes, whatever it takes, God, we open ourselves up to you, and we ask for your healing hands to be at work in us this morning. Father, we love you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Once again, thank you so much for being here with us today. Let me pray for you as you get ready to leave. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people with opportunities this week to experience through you how valuable they are, to experience healing in those broken places, to be able to see that fear has no power at your table. And God, I pray for opportunities this week to be able to invite others to come and take their place, to be able to come and take their seat at your table. And now I commission your people in the mighty name of Jesus to go and to tell everyone they know that there's a spot for them at your table. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.